0: hello and welcome back to another episode of the boink radio podcast your one-stop shop for boink science news from the past week i'm your host jay ringo joined as always by the dystopian future maniac from down under delta that was so bad (laughs) we're in an ice age at the moment help oh well you guys are going to winter right
1: yeah, it's absolutely freezing here. For
0: everyone listening, it's probably like
1: 70 degrees
0: Fahrenheit over there, so... Well, whatever,
1: whatever 10 degrees Celsius in Freedom Units is, yeah. We've had the coldest start to May in like four decades or some something, something like that.
0: 10 degrees Celsius is 50 Fahrenheit. That's not bad. That's pretty cold. Okay. All right. Forgive me. So, anyway uh hello to everyone in the chat as well this is a participatory podcast that takes place on the boink network discord server every friday at 5 p.m est everyone is welcome to join the discussion through the voice chat or the text chat to say something relevant the text chat we bring into the recording for you then we upload it up on that their website we got boink.network uh today we are talking about folding at home our brother uh distributed computing project doing great work with the proteins and the foldings of those proteins uh and we'll get to that second half of the show first half we're doing some news and first section however we're getting to the most important question that everyone they hear this part and then i'm pretty sure they just stop listening so delta go ahead i'm not even gonna ask it just tell us the only tea that's left in my cupboard
1: is the sort of like really sort of spiritual sort of teas like today and you could probably take by the name of how spiritual it is i'm i'm Drinking some Geisha Gateway. So, uh, we're going spiritual and we're taking a journey into the tropics because I wish I was there because it's so freezing down here. Uh, it contains green tea, pineapple bits, pineapple sugar. I didn't even know there was a pineapple sugar. Coconut, natural and artificial flavoring, and may contain tree nuts.
0: <laughs> so, sounds delicious, but I'm a little confused by the naming here. Isn't a Geisha like a Japanese uh, dancer? i think so yeah <laughs> so we're, we're going like
1: all, all the rest of the stuff in the cupboard is like geisha related
0: stuff huh you're drinking the gateway to becoming a japanese dancer ladies uh, and gentlemen yeah. next workshop <laughs> catch delta on stage a <laughs>
1: hey it's a good tea it tastes really nice and it reminds me of the tropics where i live <laughs>
0: Awesome. Well, I'm drinking the usual coffee. Anyone in the chat here, if you want to tell us what you're drinking, go ahead, throw it in the text, and we will catch up with you after this awesome intro. All right, so to kick this off, the most important news of the past week was also the most important news of last week. There is no blink Workshop this year. Don't go to Germany in the first week of September. Don't do it. It's not going to happen. Well, I mean, you could go, but there will be no workshop, actually. So that is a shame, because this year was going to be uh, the first workshop hosted by a team and a community formed around Boink, the Wreck-and-Craft team. So still, hats off to them uh, for even going through the trouble putting this thing together. Uh, but because of the COVID-19s, uh, the school has canceled all uh gatherings right just like everyone else so it's a shame but it's not happening but at the same time maybe we can flip this pancake and turn this into something fun (laughs) i don't know know if (laughs) that was great that that, that was actually good (laughs) (laughs) uh, let's have a let's have a virtual workshop right this sounds like flip those pancakes (laughs) oh my god virtual cooking session if we have a virtual workshop i will commit to this right now i will purchase a griddle and I will be making pancakes throughout the workshop, just on uh, camera, no. just making pancakes. What, what we should
1: do is we should get like a custom made like pancake sort
0: of template sort of thing and we'll Boink. have the Boink logo on it. Oh, that's brilliant. That'd be great. guys. All right. So to get a virtual workshop together, we just need people to help organize it. It's something that we could very easily do if we had enough people, enough skill sets, if we had a project to help us out. And enough pancake we'll mix. Oh, I can get pancake mix. Don't you worry. I know <laughs> a guy. <laughs> so if you want to help us put this virtual workshop together, get a pancake stamp. Is that what those are called? I don't know. With I the don't point know. <laughs> maybe we'll have a giveaway. Like I imagine, if we get some of these, we have to get a, get them in bulk. So maybe we'll have a giveaway during the virtual workshop of <laughs> pancake stamps mm. with the <laughs> point logo on it. This is sounding great. So. Do reach out to us at boink.network at gmail.com or just jump here into the Discord. Uh, ping me or just PM me, whatever you got to do. Let us know that you want to help, how you can help. And uh, if enough people step up, then we'll get this thing going. We'll we'll get the resources we need and we'll do what we got to do. We'll get the pancake, including the pancake mix. Uh, right. So that's the Boink Workshop news. Uh, we had one other news thing here. Oh, oh my, it's the pentathlon, the Boink 2020 pentathlon. Hey. <laughs> so There might not be a workshop, but there's uh, still this great team camaraderie going on. Uh, it's. I've already said it a billion times. I'll say it again. It's called the Boink Pentathlon. Uh, They've been running this thing. Oh, man, do you know how long this thing has been going? Does anyone know? Years. Probably older than me. (laughs) It's true. You're like, what, four, five?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Very well spoken for a five year old. Thank you. (laughs) I went to university
0: last year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they've been doing this pentathlon for a number of years. There will be a link in the description to this episode with more information. But basically, it is one of that there's combat or competitions between teams. I think it's among five projects. Uh, and each project, you know, each team crunches for a certain amount of time, gets some points, and then they move on to the next leg. Uh, it's a very fun thing to participate in. Uh, if you want to know more, check out the link below. And uh, go ahead and sign up. Oh, it says right here in the thing, this is the 11th Boink Pentathlon. That's crazy. Wow, that is older than you, Delta. Jokes aside. all right uh now what are we doing we're going to uh, want to tell people
1: uh, what a pentathlon is because there's probably some people don't know what
0: it is i described it it's uh it's five projects like outside of crunch you crunch for your life (laughs) oh (laughs) well i didn't know that part tell me more it's
1: a big competition so yeah if you ever want to compete against other teams and help your own team join the pentathlon uh i don't know can we still join yet or not
0: are we still joining it? What?
1: No, like is it still open for joining or is it like closed or what's going on?
0: Uh I, I think it's still open for registration. Crunching starts May 5th. I'm not entirely certain. Oh
1: yeah, about there you the go. It should, should be fine then.
0: You know, it's a lot of fun. Would recommend. Uh we do not know, tell uh tell in the chat asks what projects uh are in the pentathlon. It we do know that the first project is going to be Rosetta at home, uh, which is the big uh blank COVID-19 project run out of the uh, protein it, the Institute of Protein Design. Woo! Um, I don't know what the other four are going to be. Hopefully other protein projects too. I don't know. I think, you know, mix it up. Mix it up a little bit. We'll see. The guys who run this, I mean, this is their 11th year. They know what they're doing. Um, it's run by SETI Germany. That's a, a team and community that has been around with Boink for many, many times. Uh, many, many times. <laughs> many, many years. 11 um, times to be exact. <laughs> so... Shout out to them for it, putting this together. Uh, yeah. All right. So that said, I think that's all the news uh, coming out of Boink for the past week. Uh, get involved with stuff. Jump on GitHub. Jump in this Discord. Help out in any way you can. Welcome <laughs> to the jump open in general. Theory. Just jump in general. <laughs> <laughs> well, be mindful of your neighbors during these trying times. In the when ceiling. At home. Yeah. So don't be making any jumping jack noises while your neighbors are, are stuck at home below you. Uh, but that said, we're going to move into the folding at home section right after I remind everyone that I've got this feeling deep inside. Uh, starts with L, ends with Y. And that this <laughs> podcast is brought to I you... I submitted a copyright for that. You actually submitted I'm one? Still waiting, I'm
1: still waiting for it.
0: What <laughs> if I make a song before the copyright goes through? Like a full song? I'll do it. I'll release it during Wicked the... Guitar. Get, get get your acoustic yeah. guitar out. Yeah. <laughs> Sing it. I'll, I'll release it uh,
1: d- during the... Uh, Virtual Blank Workshop. Yeah, release as a premiere. Starring
0: J. Ringo. <laughs> no, no, my name will be Jay Stringo. <laughs> no. Oh, God, uh, <laughs> so anyway <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by a group called library.science uh library.science focuses on the curation of science news the creation creation of science content spread of science literacy communication and education and the advancement of the decentralized system of science that whole web 3.0 thing that involves the scientific system so shout out to them and the library community for sponsoring this show you can catch them at lbry.tv lbry com take your pick uh library is a uh content hosting protocol platform what have you it's uh, a part of the web 3.0 future as well so you can do a lot of really cool stuff with it maybe some stuff with science too but that is for another podcast uh but yes thank you to them for helping the show moving on then to the main topics tonight our brother project unofficially Folding at (laughs) Home. So Folding at Home is a project run out of Stanford, created early 2000s. I don't know the exact details of its creation, Uh, but it is a protein folding distributed computing project, solely protein folding. Uh, They have been doing a lot of great work developing the algorithms and the software in order to do effective protein folding. And nowadays they are doing wonders for bringing people into distributed computing right now. Uh, they were one of the first projects to really start working on the COVID-19 problem uh, by trying to attack the spike protein. Uh, similar, they they do similar things to what uh, Rosetta at Home does over at Boink. Uh, Delta will be talking a little more about the science in a second. Uh, but they're they are currently, I think, they're over two exaflops of processing power, which is absolutely insane. That's more powerful than the top several hundred supercomputers. Uh, in the world combined, that's not to say that those supercomputers are now irrelevant. We don't need them. Haha, ha, get out of here. But no, they're... Yeah, they're... <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> it's two different types of computing, uh, supercomputing and distributed computing. They they both have their role to play. They're, they're good for different types of uh, tasks, so to speak. But still, that's a buttload of computing. Exaflops. That was unimaginable uh, before... Uh, this very, very relatable problem uh, came up that can be attacked with distributed computing. So yeah, massive shout out to uh, Folding at Home for all the outreach they're doing, to Dr. Greg Bauman who's been uh, spearheading uh, Folding at Home for a while now, and everyone over there that's doing the science communications, the, the, the server side of stuff, which is pretty crazy right now, uh, and their community, which is doing a bunch of moderation and stuff. We'll have a link to their Discord in the description to this podcast. Uh, you can catch the uh, their Twitter, at Folding at Home. And the at is the letters A-T there, not the at symbol. Uh, and you can uh, follow Dr. Bowman at uh, at Dr. Greg Bauman, And he talks a lot about the project uh, himself. Uh, beyond that, yeah, I sort of mentioned all the problems they're having. This is just kind of a fun little tidbit. Because they got so big so quick because they were so good at communicating what the science was that they were doing. Uh, They ran out of work units really quick, their servers got overwhelmed, and they just didn't have time to up the infrastructure very quickly. Because like I said, no one could have imagined that uh, going from barely anyone in distributed computing to all of a sudden being (laughs) the largest computer in the world was going to happen overnight. So they've actually gotten partnerships with a lot of very major uh, entities like uh, AMD, NVIDIA, uh, just a lot of lot of people. CERN is actually throwing computing power at the project right now. I think someone mentioned in the chat early, earlier. Linus text text Linus Tech Tips. Text. <laughs> Let me the tell text you what emojis on writing, <laughs> writing your documents. Linus <laughs> well, Tech Tips is uh, providing a server to help uh, distribute work units. Uh, so a lot of people have pulled together to help support this project. And it's really, really cool to see. And uh, uh, we can all only hope that the people stick around in distributed computing uh, post COVID-19 and continue to work at Folding at Home and continue to expand their, their realms. Uh, maybe Folding at Home will have more projects in the future. Who knows how they're they're planning to operate. I know they're planning to open source their, their uh, next release, which is gonna be awesome. We'll talk a little bit about that a little later. Uh, but there's also all these Boink projects. There's also, what did we talk about last week? Dream Labs. Uh, there's just a whole bunch of distributed computing out there. And it, we just hope people stick around past this incredibly relevant problem. Uh, and I will say before I toss it over to Delta that they are looking for a designer right now to redesign their logo. And they're offering $1,000. So that's really cool. This is a great way to get involved with uh, science projects, distributed computing, whatever, if you're a designer. so. Uh, look on their, uh, their their Twitter for a link to a Google Doc where you can fill out a form and submit some designs. I think there's two weeks left in that, so you still got time. Check it out. Uh, and other than that, we'll, we'll talk about sort of their open access element a little later. But Delta, can you explain to me the science behind Folding at Home, please?
1: Oh, it's science time. <laughs>
0: Let's go! <laughs> okay.
1: So um, Folding at Home focuses on a number of different issues, so um, namely cancers, uh, genetics as well a little bit. They also focus on um, certain diseases such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and also other infectious diseases such as, I think it's called Changus disease, and uh, obviously now COVID-19. And so they do a number of different processes, but the main sort of stuff that they do is essentially, as we keep talking about here, probably nonstop for the last month, is they essentially find possible drugs to help treat some of these diseases. And so what that involves is finding that lock and key, that uh, that key that fits into the lock of the of the protein or the spike or any part of the disease, really. And essentially, the point of it is we want to go from having to test two billion different Proteins in a lab to only testing around hundred, and then reducing that even down to only about ten things that we have to test in the lab. And so we're finding we're trying to find existing drugs and sometimes new drugs that are safe and effective and cheap as well to synthesize. Cool. So some of the science stuff that they they do is um, mainly just the typical stuff that we've talked about, just like Rosetta at home also does, is mainly molecular dynamics. So that's where we simulate at the molecular level with all the atoms the physics that actually goes on, how they jiggle around, um, how they move, how they fold, how they latch onto things, how they bind, all that sort of fun sort of chemistry stuff. But they also do some other stuff, uh, which is actually pretty interesting. Uh, They take advantage of what's called thermodynamics. So before we get into thermodynamics, we have to talk about the fact that computers aren't exactly accurate. So running the molecular dynamic simulations are pretty hard, and they have to have some pretty good accuracy. And these computer, this computer software does have some pretty good accuracy, but of course we have shortfalls with computing, and sometimes we get, excuse me, some really um. Really, literally impossible situations, like a protein sort of binds into itself and like creates like a knot or something like that, and so that's just not possible. But we take advantage of thermodynamics because of what's called the state function. So I'm not going to explain that because that's just a whole bunch of crazy mathematics. But essentially, if you go from one state to a uh, one valid state to another valid state,
0: you have to it pay doesn't taxes. matter how you. Ha.
1: <laughs> yeah, you have to pay right. fuel tax, <laughs> but no, um, you you have to. Uh, it doesn't matter whether they're both. Um, it doesn't matter how you get there, or if the process there to get there was invalid. So long as the start state and the end state are valid, then the protein fold is valid. And so they take advantage of that situation in order to tackle the issue of the accuracy of computing. Now, um, another very interesting thing that they do is um, because they're similar to Boink and they use a similar work unit distribution strategy as Boink, where they create a work unit on the server, send it out to your computer, your computer crunches it, and then sends it back. The way that they create this is interesting. They sometimes use AI in order to create work units. And the reason why they have to do this is because um, it's hard to do linear tasks. So in order to get to step, uh, as they say, in order to get to step 23, you have to complete step 22. And to get to step 22, you have to complete step 21. So in order to actually separate those steps into different work units, they use, uh, I think it's called Markov, uh, a Markov map or something like that. And uh, they also use AI to split that up. So from a protein starting in step 1, they use AI to predict what it might look like, or at least the possible states, in step 23. And then you can send out the work unit for step 23 and step 1, without having to go through steps 1 till 22. So that's how uh, they sometimes split up their work units. But just like normal um, protein folding uh, distributed computing projects like Rosetta at Home, usually it's pretty good where you can just say, oh, uh, for this one, we're going to test this drug. Or for this one, we're going to test that drug. Or for this one, we're going to test that drug. So because there's billions of drugs in online databases, we've got plenty of work units. Um, In terms of how folding at home is similar to Boink, Uh, it uses the same client-server model. So your um, computer that you run at at home is what's called a host, and that host gets work from the server. The server returns the work, your host computes the work, and then your host sends back the work. So it has that similar sort of um, uh, deal going on there. Uh, It does uh, use most of the hardware, so it uses the CPU, the GPU, and networking on your computer. Just like how Boink does, uh, and I'm pretty sure it also has a screensaver too. So Folding at Home has its own screensaver, albeit it's not particularly that interesting. It's just a little <laughs> protein that's jiggling right in the middle of the of the screen, and it's like turning like very dramatically. Um, I'm pretty sure they have that, and uh, yeah, so they have um, that screensaver as well. Fun fact, also, uh, Folding at Home actually uh, delved into web computing. So they actually developed a page um, called, I think it's nacl.foldingathome.org, if I'm not mistaken. It's currently down. Um, and oh, the page is not down, but the, the work units for it are down because uh, the web computing stuff that they actually use, which is called NACL, um, is not supported anymore. So um, they used to do web processing, so you can load up on, lo- load up that computing onto a web browser maybe at your university or something like that while you're attending a lecture. Uh, or at, if you're at work, you're bored, instead of just sitting there browsing um, social media, you can load up folding at home and run it on the browser. You can even run it on the browser just while you're playing games or something like that. And so Folding at Home was one of the first distributed computing projects to actually try out computing stuff over the web. And unfortunately, they've had to deprecate it. And hopefully, maybe in the future, someone can make a WebAssembly implementation. And that's it for the science.
0: <laughs> that was a lot of science. One of the, the cool things, I think, about uh, Folding at Home and all these other biology projects, from the Boink projects to probably giving Dream Labs to, like I said, Folding at Home, is that, yes, they're working on these very tangible projects uh, our problems, COVID-19 uh, being one, Alzheimer's being another. But at the end of the day, all of them are working on expanding our foundational understanding of biology, proteins, chemicals within the body, how they all work together. So, and I'm gonna say this every every freaking episode. <laughs> so the the next time this pandemic happens, uh, we're gonna understand viruses and how diseases work essentially so much better and we'll be able to react faster and more efficiently like and that's why we want people to stick around in distributed computing and uh, protein simulation and all of these projects after the COVID 19 problem passes that's why we wish they were all here through the 2000s because well we might have been able to react faster and save some lives if we had these if we knew how viruses worked uh so that is my plea to everyone. Stick around because yes, we're solving these tangible problems, but th- we're, we're doing foundational science with all of these projects. Even the ones that aren't biology, like the space projects, we're just like looking for, for stuff in the sky. Aliens, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who knows what's going to happen when we're going to need that science. Even the math projects, who knows when we're going to need like this 600,000 num- numeral prime number or some golem rule or, or, or Latin squares, right? So this is why foundational science is critical, because you don't know when you're going to need that knowledge in the future. And this is why all of these projects are really cool, because they all generally support open access and open science. What a freaking transition, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Delta, do you know what open access is? Uh,
1: Is it the progression of human knowledge through unrestricted access to prior information?
0: Wow. <laughs> Shows over everyone.
1: <laughs> it's all explained. We're all done here. We're all the outro, not the that, black holes. The black
0: holes. Open. That's that's pretty good description of it. A- open access is exactly that. It's the idea that when someone oh, really, I guessed it. <laughs> that was <laughs> when, a guess. <laughs> when someone discovers something, it's the at a principle level, is the idea that knowledge is sh- meant to be shared. That something is not knowledge unless it's shared. If I know something but I don't tell anyone else, who cares, right? Uh, if I tell people, it's now knowledge. Uh, that That's something that's driven by this guy. That's an idea driven by this guy, Dr. John Walensky. Uh, if you guys want to research further, uh, I would look up him. He talks about it a lot. He, he has a lot of good writing on it. He gives a lot of talks on it. Uh, and I think his direct quote is that knowledge can only claim to be knowledge insofar as it is uh, shared and made public. So with that principle in mind, open access at a practical level, level is, uh, hey, I'm a researcher. I just discovered something. Here you go, world. Here's everything. Here's how I did it. And here's the result. Here's uh, my and- paper on Geisha Gateway T. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Give it to everyone. It's good. I proved it. <laughs> <laughs> so what that does is uh, one of one of the easiest ways to, to understand why spread, sharing your knowledge, once you discover something, is very, very, very important, particularly to what I think Delta included in his very brief and succinct description, definition, uh, this idea of continuing education is, uh, the, the good example is of doctors. So when you go to a doctor because you're sick and the doctor doesn't know what you have, uh, they're just not, good, they don't just go home and then realize what you have and come back. They go home and study. And the way they study is they look at these journals that have all the, the, diseases and, and, and symptoms and, and treatments for these symptoms and what happened, and how doctors respond to certain sicknesses. Uh, and they find something that seems like accurate, right? So then they come back and they try a treatment with you, uh, because they had access to what other doctors had done before, and they were able to determine what a good treatment is going to be. Uh, this is sort of what's happening right now with COVID, with uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine, remdesivir, I cannot pronounce that one uh Tulsa lose a man something like that <laughs> all these all these different drugs that people are uh doctors are sort of observing might have an effect and then publishing those observations and then people go and do real science with them and they publish the those scientific results and then you continue down that road because it's open access no one's doing the science with a with a drug and then holding it to themselves to sell because that's like we're in a pandemic don't do that that's evil so if currently there are journals that doctors use to get this information about how to treat people that are actually behind paywalls you have to be part of a hospital or whatever to access them and it kind of sucks because that breaks the uh, principle of continuing education so in the same example where i'm sick i go to a doctor they go home they research based on the sharing of knowledge in their network And then they come back if i can also read what they're reading i'm going to go home and research as well i'm not going to come up with the answer i'm just average joe over here just you know i hate that we use joe but i'm just average Joe. he's alice
1: instead (laughs) alice
0: i'm average alice and i'm just going to go home and i'm going to read stuff i'm not going to find the cure the doctor's going to do what they're trained to do and what they're really good at and they're going to find the cure Uh, but I'm gonna learn something. I'm gonna learn about science. I'm gonna read some words, not know what they mean and go look them up, right? That creates continuing education. So that means I just learned something because someone I loved is sick or because I myself am sick. And I was able to learn because the knowledge was just out there for me to get. I didn't need to go enroll in a school. I didn't need to pay like X number of hundreds of dollars to gain access to an article that I may or may not even want to read at the end of the day. I'm able just to go and read, right? Uh, So this is why open access is incredibly, incredibly important, uh, that continuing education aspect. And, well, Folding at Home, just the other day, put out a tweet here, and I will put the link to the tweet in the description below, uh, talking about how they have an open access article having to do with something called a G-protein. Uh, the title of the article is called Simulation of Spontaneous G-Protein Activation Reveals a New Intermediate Driving GDP on Binding. I have no idea what that means, but there's a did paper say, Did they just say GDP? <laughs> GDP. I really doubt it has to do so with gross We're making money in the cells, are we? <laughs> but that's the thing. I don't need to pay to understand how wrong that is. It has do I can just read the article and learn something. I can charge you by the hour. <laughs> that is, that is awesome. So that is why we're talking about folding at home. Really? I mean, besides the fact that they do the same thing as Boink and we're all trying to fix this problem together, uh, they support open access. They support open science. Open science is uh, open access, but to a whole other level. Every open science says every aspect of the scientific system should be open and accessible to everyone and based on uh, network collaboration and not based on I have to pay money to get access to science and participate in the science. Um, and you know, these distributed computing platforms at their core are based on that principle, whether or not they know it or not. I can participate in the science by contributing my computation cycles to Folding at Home or Boink, and I am now participating in the scientific system. It's open, open and permissionless. So on on that level, we're very much looking forward to Folding at Home, open sourcing their their code. But without that even, they operate on some of these principles uh, at a base level. So as you can see, I love open access. So I've been gushing here, so I apologize for that. I'm gonna catch up on the chat. <laughs> That's right, I got. Do you also love game. open source? Sorry, go, Thomas. Thomas, what was that?
2: Do you like also love open source?
0: Does who? Uh, you <laughs> Do I oh do I also love open source? Well yeah. of course I love open source. Of course we love open source.
2: Open source and open access. Like an open access. Seems to be like open source, but in in science. And as you said uh, in your uh, lecture, <laughs> it's really important. Yeah, and for I progress. heard
0: absolutely. And there's a good comparison between the two, so you can they're they're very very similar in that you know in open source the main principle is you can view the code, tinker with the code, and and that's basically the main principles. And open access, you can view the science and the methodology behind the science, and then go and tinker with it yourself. Uh, without having to pay and but there is a difference so with open access i could produce a methodology that uh, produces a result and open access that but then when i go build the thing that uses the result of that open access science i don't need to open source that product at the end of the day so i can be open access with a profit motive still uh but you know i love open source too so hopefully someone thinking like that will make the research open access and then make the product open source and then stand besides the product and make money that way instead of standing in front of the product to 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 block access to that product and because... watch that money printer go <laughs> <laughs> uh jeringo i
1: have a curveball question for you what is a library an open access source of information
0: that's a very good question Shout out to all the libraries out there, first of all. All the libraries. (laughs) (laughs) Including the ones without any um, vowels.
1: (laughs) Including the ones without
0: any vowels. (laughs) So I think this is actually a fairly complicated question, Uh, but... I I couldn't answer it, first of all, by bringing up someone who must be brought up every time you talk about open access. And this is this fellow by the name of Aaron Schwartz, who unfortunately is no longer with us, but he pushed the open access movement into the mainstream and did a whole bunch of magical stuff, like start Reddit and uh, give us Markdown and uh, stopped uh, SOPA, which is the Stop Online Piracy Act in the US here. Uh, And he got in trouble for going to a library and taking what was in the library and putting it online so anyone could access it because the way people accessed that information they had to pay to get it but it was still arguably public information so it's it's very it, it's hard to say right you're saying it's a gray area <laughs> yeah yeah that's fair enough <laughs> <laughs> like i i think all the information in the library should be digitized you know the library of congress is digitizing stuff and they generally are are free and open access but there are people out there that will make money by any means necessary, and at the end of the day, that does more damage than it does good. Even if you make the money and you give it all away, if you just made the knowledge free so anyone could use the knowledge, that would improve people's lives so many times over, right? Yeah. I think- there is
2: also the free beer and free freedom argument for libraries because... <laughs> Uh, you, you generally have to pay a library membership to to get into the library, but the the fee is not for the information. The fee is for maintenance of the building and uh, the physical stuff.
0: Like the record keeping. Yeah. So once things, uh, Tal says in the chat here, there are, they're already doing it all over the world. They digitize the library. So once everything's yeah, digital, that it is a good idea. For now
1: that we're in lockdown, I think it'd be great to have a digital library. <laughs> Download the PDF and then
0: upload it again. No one else can have it until you finish reading it. Well, ebooks That'd are gonna—they're gonna be so great. Uh, my friend just uh, forgot to return to a book the other day, and he got a—I think it was a hundred and fifty-dollar ticket. And you know, once he, yeah, once he brought the book back, they charged him twenty dollars, which still is too expensive. But at the end of the day, they're just protecting their property, right? They, if he hmm. stole the book, then no one else can borrow it. But if it's a digital book, well, it doesn't matter. You don't need to return it. No one gets to needs to be charged hundred and fifty dollars. And then you also get over the access part. Like um, the, there's a lot of layers with open access. Like uh, the the article might be open access, but the property the intellectual property within the article might be owned by one of the very 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 few publishing houses in the world and uh that's like awkward uh so yes it's open access but do i really have access to it? Uh, is it really accessible that sort of thing so th- there's a lot in open access if anyone is interested by my, or their, if their interest was piqued by my my diatribe definitely dive into it it's really fun it's a fun field I was going to say, this reminds me of the time I went to the library and
1: I wanted to um, borrow one of the political books. I wanted to learn a bit about uh, the Australian government. And um, I, I was only, I, I couldn't find it on the shelf. So I asked the I asked the ladies at the counter, I said, hey, do you have this book? And they said, oh, it, it looks like it's not here. Um, I, it looks like the person that's had it has had it for like a year now and has never returned it. So uh, it's likely they stole it for political reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, good times.
0: Oh, cool. Phoenix Archer is saying in the chat here, there's this guy, Jason Scott Sadovsky, more commonly known as Jason Scott, who's uh, an archivist and a historian who uh, has been called a figurehead of the digital archiving world. So there is a name you can look up if you want to learn more about digitizing uh, books. So to wrap this up then, I guess, as the conversation continues in the chat, uh, we will end with a salute to our fellow distributing computing project Folding at Home. And for their support of open access, uh, here's hoping more things get open in the future. A salute to all the Boink projects out there that are also open access, open data, open source. Um, and you know, there's this thing called open educational resources, which also support the the main principle of open access of continuing education, um, or continuity of education. Sorry. Uh, where the tools to educate people are made free. So that would be awesome. Oh, yes, yes. Towson brings up a great, great example. So when I was talking about how the open access is um, complicated, right, once you get into it, there is a rule in the US uh, where the copyright uh, is, it's uh, the life of, see, it, he says it's the life of the author plus 70 years. It's the life of the youngest author plus 70 years. So if I publish, if I'm like a, a 50-year-old guy who, who spent his life in science doing this research and I finally cracked it, right? And I had a PhD on my team, PhD student, who are usually in like their mid-20s, early 30s. Uh, And they're published, they're they're credited on the paper. The uh, copyright is for their lifespan plus 70 years. That is, that's, um, I'm going to throw my opinion in here. That's wrong. That's just messed up, man. So (laughs) there is so much uh, finesse once you get into the details of open access, which is why I'm saying if anyone is just interested in freedom, of information, freedom of knowledge, get into open access. That's the fields you want to be in because the the open right. world in general is is huge. It's open. I've already listed a couple of them: open source, open access, open data, open science, uh, uh, open educational resources. There's many different ways you can approach this uh, decentralization of knowledge but open access is one of, at least to me, one of the most interesting ones. Thomas, were you going to say something?
2: Yeah, I was just uh, confused. Uh, if you publish a paper, is it still, like, in your copyright so you can say that only few people can read it? It's I believe not... that if you publish a paper, it's uh, it becomes part of, like, uh, a public domain where, where they still have to, uh, like, uh, give credit if they cite, but it's... Uh, accessible to everyone who has access to it
0: oh man you're gonna make me talk for like two hours so there's another aspect to this which has to go to ownership of knowledge um so uh
2: no 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 I'm just just about the text the, the, the yeah. right to to the text right be, so not to do knowledge
0: if I publish something uh, but because
2: there is uh, intellectual property and I don't want to get into that
0: okay okay so and someone else someone else is gonna probably know this and if I'm incorrect please point it out respond to the, the show, and we'll correct it next episode. But by my understanding, there's like five publishing houses. And when I publish something, they publish it, essentially. And they own it. They own the rights to everything I've done in that paper. And they generally choose to open access something. Because open the open access movement, one, on a philosophical level, uh, in the US, for example, in, oh man, 2008, I think funding from NIH is either NSF or NIH. I think it was NF- NIH uh, was um, was held from anyone who did not open access the research. So that meant that, well, if I did research, I have to open access it if I want to continue getting funded by NIH. So that happened, but those publishing houses still exist. Uh, Elsevier is an example, they're a huge one. Uh, so they ultimately own it. And by the way I understand it, at any moment, they could just take it down uh, and sue people who do not um, take it down from uh, free access. Now, there's this thing called pre-publication where you publish something without it being pretty. Uh, I don't know how that fits into the equation, Uh, but the way I understand it is these companies choose to open access it, but it's not really actually required, right? It's, an, it's not a free system.
2: That's scary.
0: I know. It's scary. I hope I'm wrong. I hope someone corrects corrects me by either joining the discord and saying jerango you're an idiot here's what the reality is or by emailing boink.network at gmail.com but it's the way i understand it and it's scary right <laughs> and then there's the whole the the whole private research aspect of it to private companies because this another great uh historical aspect of open access is the social contract that's uh been part of universities for thousands of years. Because universities are some of the oldest, if not the oldest, institutions in our society on par with religious institutions. Um, And there was a social contract there where we give them money, they give us knowledge, essentially, uh, or we give them resources, land, whatever. Uh, But if the research is being done by a corporation, does that social contract still exist? Do do they have a responsibility to open access their research? Uh, or how does that work? Let alone the fact that we're now combining research, research universities with private companies, and how does that all work? It's very, very complex and convoluted. Yeah, so I'm going to stop here before I go too far. Uh, Delta, any final thoughts here? <laughs> um, no, that's it. You answered my question about the library. I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Then uh, we will try to close out again with a shout-out to Folded at Home for all the work you're doing. Uh, check them out uh maybe we'll put a tutorial together on how to how to run their software too uh and uh yeah we'll see y'all next week friday 5 p.m est on the boink network discord server who knows what we'll be talking about and who knows how cold it will be in australia it's gonna be freezing gonna be wearing like two socks i probably
1: will (laughs) it does get pretty cold